Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and we're just going to jump on in. Y'all ready? All right. So it says in verse 6, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their, wit- their widows were being neglected, neglected in the daily distribution. So... When this starts off, we've been going through Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, now we're hitting 6, and we've been seeing all of these amazing opportunities for the gospel to be preached. Um, people have been getting healed, the gospel gets preached. The, um, the disciples get thrown inside a jail, they declare the gospel. Um, they get taken in and questioned and, and, and everything else or whatever. They're being brutalized by, by the authorities and everything else, and they're using these opportunities to declare the gospel, and it seems like Satan is just trying to, it's the, it's the church is just popping off. Christ has just ascended into the heavens, and now the church is going forward, and the devil's trying to choke him out, but every single way keeps coming at him. The gospel keeps getting declared, and the number keeps growing, and it keeps getting bigger. So now we arrive in, in Acts 6, and we see now that there's a little bit of church beef popping off, right? All right, so it says, it says a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the Hellenists were Jewish Christians whose mother tongue was Greek. Um, and it says they were Greek-speaking Jews of the diaspora, which, who returned to settle in Jer- Jerusalem. So you had the regular Hebrews who I believe spoke like Aramaic or something like that, and then these actually spoke Jews. So there probably was some things going on, maybe like different class stuff or whatever, but nevertheless, they are actually all believers, and, you know, a little issue pops up. Personally, when I read the text and their name was called the Hellenists, I had some questions. I was like, why are you called the Hellenists? Uh, you get what I'm saying? I don't like the word hell. Maybe I'm religious. I don't know. But I don't mess with Helens. I don't mess with Shelly because it got hell in the middle of it. All type of stuff like that. So if a crew of people want to come join the church and they roll up and they're like, yo, we're Helenists. We want to be a part of you. I'm going to be like, I need some credentials. And I need, and I need some change, name change documents too. But anyway, they let the Helenists join the crew. And so an issue pops up, a real issue, right? So this text says that there was a complaint. Some other texts say that there was murmuring. And so the text doesn't lean into whether this was just an oversight issue, was it a racial issue, a class issue, a sexist issue, um, or just a logistical issue that was being rectified at the expense of the Hellenists or whatever, so they couldn't get to them. So they're like, you know, know, they're just going to have to be the last on the list or whatever. But Or it could have been an issue where... You know, maybe, maybe the disciples just thought they were too good to serve the tables, right? So this is a complaint. But when you're in a church, a complaint is always a big deal because it can go 50 million directions, right, if it's not really responded to. And sometimes in the midst of just keeping up with the work and the duties and everything else, it's hard to respond to. But what we have here, other texts, like I said, call it murmuring. So we do have Satan on the scene coming up to be the accuser of the brethren, and he's coming at the church, a newly formed church. We don't care nothing about that because he got his own plan to crush, to crush what God is doing. So he's in there, he's talking smack, and now they're in there, and they're whispering. They're like, yo. And to think about it, this is their widows. So like, you know, you may, like if you mess with a young dude like Aaron or whatever, I'd be like, Aaron can handle his business. But if you start dissing a widow or whatever, I'm going to get extra mad. So this probably got into a heated situation. You get where I'm coming from? So... Let me tell you about the distribution and what that was. Um, there is a philosopher, a scholar that was alive during this time, and um, I'm going to 
um, try to pronounce his name, but it's Mayamanides. Mayamanides, we'll just call him Lady Marmalade or whatever and roll with that one, all right? And so, but something like that. And, um, but he writes during this time, he's actually an onlooker to what's going on um, in their area and in their context at the time. And he, he, he's known because his writings, he's like describing what he's watching with the church um, is found in his writings. So a lot of scholars lean on his work. And so he says, they appoint collectors who receive every day from every account a piece of bread or any sort of food or fruit or money from whoever that, from whosoever that offers freely for the time. And they divide that which is collected in the evening among the poor, and they give to every poor person of, its de- of his daily sustenance. And that is called, um, I can't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the other words, but it says Tom Chui, and the other one says the alms dish. So I was wrong. I need to recant what I said a couple weeks ago where I said that was for almonds. It actually isn't. Come to find out, that is the alms dish is actually other things. So he's actually taking in. Um, that's this is so. This is this is the issue right here. So when they're distributing what comes in, they are um, they're they're skipping over the uh, the widows, the Hellenist widows, right? Um, it's pretty amazing that this is a brand new church and this is like the function they go directly to to serving the poor. Don't you think? Like. They're getting it in already. The church is just popping off, and it's like that's their function. There's a lot. I think when we're going through this text, one of the things that we need to think about, because when you listen to it, you can think like, man, it's just an amazing story and amazing, um, you know, amazing uh, information for us to hear. But the fact of the matter is, this is the brand new church. It's at this time. It's probably in its most purest function, so to speak, as far as just Holy Spirit. Christ, you know, we're dealing with people who actually saw Christ on the cross. We're seeing Holy Spirit fall, so people are preaching the gospel ferociously, even even at the point that, you know, they're standing and and, and they're being persecuted and everything else. But nevertheless, they're going forward preaching the gospel. So, you know, when I first started this series, um, one of the things I talked about was, like, how do we slow up? Do y'all recall that? Anybody recall me saying that? When we started Acts, I said, yo, how do we slow up as a church? Like sometimes we move at the speed of organization, but sometimes we kind of feels like we're kind of leaving the people who actually make up the church behind. And so when we go back into Acts and we start going through this, it's so refreshing to hear because it's like, man, how did they do this in the beginning? Like how did they start off? What was of importance to them? And so apparently serving the poor and giving was important, right? So despite, despite the fact that we have a pure church at the, in, in, in this point right here. From the very beginning, we see devil showing, the, the Satan showing his, his, his hand, trying to divide the church, all right? So the reason that's important because, number one, I think sometimes we're kind of naive to the sense of, like, you know, when we have issues in the church or there's disputes or anything like that, we're like, what in the world is going on? Or we say things like, yo, God is a God of order or whatever. So if there's disorder, God can't be there and this and things like and, and stuff like that. The fact of the matter is God does love order. But sometimes, and based on what we're looking at in the scripture, issues happen, right? They just simply happen. It just is what it is. And so from the very beginning, we can see since day one, the Satan has been coming against the church. Uh, another thing that's amazing when we look inside this text is that we see that even as we stand here a thousand years, several thousand years later, despite church persecution, despite 
um, the Hellenists, whatever issues or whatever, despite Christian brothers being killed, right, being, being uh, beheaded, firing squads, all of that still happening till this day. Nobody's been able to stop the church. The church is still here, still moving forward. Y'all tracking with me? Hold on just one minute. Just got a phone call. Mic check. All right. Can y'all hear me better? All right. All right. Okay. Okay, so despite all the persecution, the church is still to this day, still standing, still functioning, still accomplishing the will of God, despite all of the issues it faces, all the persecution from the outside and even from the inside, right? So in verse 2, it says this. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom who, who we will appoint to this duty, all right? So we have the issue with the Hellenists, and the way that they're going to fix the problem is they're going to actually appoint, this is the deacons. This is where we're going to see the deacons come forth in the church for the first time. And so <clears throat> let me just tell you the scenario that usually happens here. This, the reason that this is, this is just a really practical response to problems that always happen. But usually what happens, whatever, in a situation like this, people start talking, people start murmuring, then they're like, hey, yo, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, 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 you know, they're too busy to come mess with us, or they're racist, or they're all these other things, and all of this beef and contention in the church happens, and then you have, and then, oh, don't let this happen. Don't mess around and the pastor comes in and he goes to get some coffee and then maybe one of the Hellenists who's being ignored is standing right there and he forgets to say hello to it. Then they're going to be like, yo, he hates me. You know what I'm saying? He hates me or, you know what I'm saying? He ain't messing with us or whatever, but they're going to be like, the pastor is a slimy snake and then we're going to have a church beef and a split is going to happen, right? That's, that, that is a, a normal scenario in churches, unfortunately, Right? And so I'm saying that to say, and I'm trying to give you a picture because I think a lot of times, sometimes when we're at church, we don't really think about the fact that like, like when the word is telling us to like honor each other with our words and the way we talk about each other, the way we, way we esteem our leadership, the way we handle issues, sometimes we're like, oh, okay, that's cool to hear. No, it's actually vital because churches 20 times bigger than ours break up and split because of this type of stuff all the time. You get where I'm coming from? You understand where I'm coming from? Anybody awake? All right. Okay. All right. And so, so in this situation, they respond, and they said, we're going to appoint deacons. One of the things they say also is that we're going to, you know, one of the concerns is, um, which always is an issue for church, too, is that a lot of times you have leadership or you have people that are just simply spread too, too thin, which may have been the issue with the Hellenists. It kind of might not have been an actual, you know, that people are intentionally turning their back on them, but they may have just said, you know, like, we can't keep up with all of this. And so they're, they're responding with a practical solution here by putting the deacons in place. But if you notice, the deacons, deacons can actually manage everything from taking out trash they can manage finances. They can, they can handle civil issues. But what's amazing is that they didn't just go grab anybody to do that. Like, it wasn't some type of subpar job to them, right? 
Like they had qualifications, pretty big qualifications to meet. And so it says that they had to be of good repute. That means that their, their reputation actually had to be good throughout the people of God, right? Throughout the church. They had to say, yo, we want this guy to actually lead us, right? Like I would say Aaron very much fits this or whatever, because I don't know anybody in the church that's like, I don't mess with Aaron. Everybody knows, everybody knows that his reputation is good. He serves us. He loves us. He's put his back and sweat into the church. So he, he, he has that good repute in the church. So that was one of the qualifications for a deacon. And it also says that they're full of the spirit and that they're full of wisdom. All right. So it doesn't take the idea of somebody taking in collections or giving out bread to people as being something menial at, by any means. There's still a qualification of, of godliness that they set in place inside of the text here. All right. Y'all tracking with me? All right. Three people wake up in here this morning. All right. All right. And then verse 4, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right. So why is it important that leaders be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word? Like we see what's going on inside of this text but, like, there was a very, very specific intention on, on, on protecting the time of prayer and the time of going into the word, right, for the leadership and for the disciples, right? They really wanted to make sure that was protected. I just want to read a couple other scriptures with you. They're not going to be on the, on the screen, but to, to, to let you know what the word says about it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Y'all got that? Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says this. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when we reverence the word, when we, when we hold tight to the word of God as, as, as a, a, a lamp unto our feet, right, a light unto our path, right, when we do that, when we hold on to it, like our success is guaranteed. The, 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 and the success is what God is looking to accomplish, right? It says, it, like, we're not subscribing to the doctrine of Jay Harris. Jay Harris can't even subscribe to Jay Harris' doctrine. You get where I'm coming from? Like the only thing that we have that is a sure shot for walking this out the way God has called us to, that's going to correct us, that's going to protect us, that's going to guide us, that's going to tell us that we're on the right path, is the word of God. It's his word. And that's what that's saying in that scripture. Um, verse 5, it says this right here. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And those chosen, and excuse me, and, though, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We'll learn about Stephen a little bit later in the next uh, part of this or whatever. But Stephen is actually going to be the first um, believer crowned with martyrdom. And he's going to be killed. Um, so Stephen was one of the, the, the people that they named as a deacon. And it says, and Philip, we'll just call him Phil, Big Phil. All right. And Prochorus, Proc, and Nick Nicanor. That's Nick and Timon or Timon, Tim and Parmenas. 
with parm. And then if you move his letters around, it spells Parmesan, I believe. And then it says, it does. And Nicholas, with another Nick, is a proselyte from Antioch. It says, and it says, these set, I'm being serious, man, for real. That's the only way you're going to remember all these different names is if you start, you know, that's how I remember stuff. I just give them a nickname. All right. And it says, um, all right, it says, and, and, and verse six says, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And then verse seven says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right. So. What we see here right now at the end of this text, the way it wraps it up, it says, so Satan's plan to cause division, it didn't work, but it actually caused the church to increase systematically, functionally, and it did it in full display of the people, all right? So what I'm saying by that, the reason this is so important for us because it offers us hope for when we have rough seasons or when we have disagreements or when we have a complaint against somebody, all right? It offers us hope because in this text right here, there's a real complaint. There's a real issue. Nevertheless, they were practically able to respond. They were able to have people from the church who actually love the church and love the body step in the position to take care of the issue so they can actually fulfill their job and do it better, right? And so that gives us hope because it doesn't have to be that it turns into a beef for real, you know? Um, like Big Phil and Aaron situation. We don't have to have rap beefs going around the church and mouse, mousetrap mixtapes jumping off, whatever. I'm just playing with y'all. Y'all ain't heard the song. Y'all got to hear the song. But what I'm just saying that to say that this is it's really vital because um, especially when you're a pastor, you're in leadership. One of the most disheartening things is that when you're leading people and you see them actually going to war with each other. Do you get where I'm coming from? over stuff that actually just needs a little bit of repentance, a little bit of just confession that needs forgiveness. Do you understand where I'm coming from? When you're a parent and your kids start fighting, it hurts. Like, for, for, I remember in my house, my mom was completely against us fighting because she couldn't stand the thought of us actually treating each other like that. And because, and, and not only was it just a thing where we're beefing against each other, we're causing issues between each other, but we're messing with the house and the way she leads the house and what a home is to her. You get what I'm saying? So when we have issues or we have complaints against each other, if we don't manage and handle them the right way, we're actually causing a problem in the, the way God has called his house and his children to act and function. And by doing that, we end up actually waging war against what he's actually doing, the will and purpose that I talked about in that scripture that he's trying to accomplish. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Are y'all with me? All right. I know it seems like it's just a story, but it's, it's, it's vitally important, important for us as a, as a church. Um, so this text also says that, um, that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. One of the reasons that this is really important, too, is that the priests were some of the sharpest opponents to the church. So it's actually saying, like, you know, I was telling you a little bit earlier, as we're looking through Acts, even up until verse 6, what we see is the enemy coming against the church in so many different ways. And we see God keep showing himself faithful and strong. And that's why the church is just getting bigger and bigger and stronger because they keep seeing the Lord show up as they declare his word and more people are like, oh my God, but it's on display in front of everybody. The same way we're on display in front of everybody right now. 
people watch what we do. They watch how we handle issues with each other. If like most people's complaints today sound exactly like this right here. Yo, where's the church at? Y'all never out here. Y'all never do this. You never do that. Am I right? So when we actually do the opposite and we, and we, and we do what is, is exemplified right here, we actually are giving God glory. This is the thing that makes people go, man, you know, I thought I knew what the church was about, but I didn't realize there's people actually laying their life down, like laying their life down in a way that I've never even seen that's utterly extraordinary to me. Do you get where I'm coming from? The type of laying their life that looks like this isn't even really human. Like you, you've literally forsaked your, you've given up your life to pursue what you think God is doing. Do you get where I'm coming from? Y'all get that? All right. I keep saying that. Y'all get that? All right. Just trying to make sure y'all awake. All right. Last thing I just want to declare to you is that Christ has left us with a ministry that can't be shaken and can never be stopped. If there's anything we see in this text, that's what we see here, is that the enemy can't do nothing with the church. Several thousand years, we're still here. Even in death, God is glorified. Um, and our works that we do are not in vain. Um, verse um, in First uh, Corinthians 15, it says this. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on, the, on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to read the rest of this text, but I just want to stop right here to say this. Like what Aaron was saying about this idea of this just being a quick passing through as we go into eternity. Like if you get a hold of that, that changes everything because it's so quick. It's not even worth trying to fill up your storehouse right now. I mean, this isn't where you're going to be for the long run. I mean, if you're going to fill up your storehouse, fill up your storehouse for the long trip, right? The eternal trip. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, I think that sounds like common sense. But here's the thing. How do we do that? We're able to bring, we're able to do works unto God that fall at his feet and bring glory to him. And by doing that, we're able to even expand our family and the people and, and fulfill our call into the loss to take the gospel to the loss, right? And so after he says that, he said, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? And so this is the, this is the, the thing of hope that I want us to leave with. Um, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. All right. That's amazing news. That means our labor is not in vain. It means that even if you think you're being taken advantage of, you can't be taken advantage of. You can't be taken advantage of because our God is too big and he is too sovereign. You understand what I'm saying? When we look into it, like the reason this is important is because there's the, the, the reason I'm tying this together is because when you look at complaints or strifes in the church, a lot of times people can't let go of it because they think they're going to lose something. But if God's giving you life, eternal life, what can you possibly lose? What can somebody take away from you? Absolutely nothing. So it makes you not have to hold on to everything, but you can let go and you can give it up and you can say, hey, we don't see eye to eye, but you're my brother and I love you. You know, and you can keep moving forward and you can keep 
working in the work that God has told you to do. Do you get where I'm coming from? So a lot of times our questions are based around how do we protect ourselves? It's the first question we ask ourselves. How do I protect myself? How do I watch my own back? And that's how we usually move forward and navigate where we go. But if this word in this text is true right here and God has even overcome death, that doesn't become the question anymore. The question is simply, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to be at? And last, last week when Matt was inside of Acts 5, one of the things that we saw is that the disciples actually came out glorifying God because they were worthy to be persecuted. Do you know how crazy that is? In American church and today, if we get persecuted, we're like, something's wrong. Satan's in the building. We got to go. Pack it up. We got to go. I feel a little persecution. Things are getting hard. If we dare think our reputation is at stake, we are out the door. We're out the door. But that's, that's not what this text is saying. They actually counted themselves as blessed. They counted that as, as, the, as they were loved by the Lord, the fact that they were being persecuted for his name. That's important. That's important stuff. So we're able to labor. We're able to labor. We're able to work and do works unto God to glorify him, not to earn him, but to actually glorify him as fruit that comes from us. Um, and so that's... I'm actually going to end with that. This is a very simple text um, and whatnot. I couldn't, you know, I tried to throw some salad dressing on it, but you can't dress it up too much. You know, it's, but it's a powerful, powerful text because these things are, are very much rooted in the core of who we are identity-wise. Um, and I and hope I just we are believers. We're Christians. We're disciples. It means that we are followers of Jesus Christ. The text is what we follow. Like he, the text is alive and it, and it actually guides our steps. It guides our steps. So there's really not a posture of kind of a nonchalant halfway in, halfway out. Because if we try to stay halfway in, halfway out or stay lukewarm, we're going to actually hurt people. You understand what I'm saying? People are going to always get hurt. There's no way for that for it to happen, but people getting hurt. But if we're going to be, if we're going to say this is what we are, and this is who we are, and this is what God has called us to be, and he's called us to a mission, and he's called us to love his church, he's called us to function and be the church through our works and everything else, then we want to play closely to how we do that in the most effective way. How do we do that in the most effective way? One of the ways we can do it is we can do it with deacons. And in the near future, we're in a season where we actually need deacons where we need to appoint people. So I want y'all to be thinking about just the words we're reading today. Think about the qualifications that it's talking about here because we need deacons to help us. You know, I got eight babies at the house. I can't get to everything all the time. I need y'all to really, really think about that. And there's many of y'all right now that already see your work, already see you moving around the building, always already see you sacrificing that. And I'm already adding that up. But I just want to encourage you in that because it's an honorable thing to do. And, uh, and we just get to, as family, work together and care for Christ's church and care for the people that are in here. Y'all get where I'm coming from? All right. I love y'all.